Almost two weeks ago, the state of Pennsylvania released a grand jury report which detailed decades of sexual abuse of thousands of children by hundreds of Catholic priests. I chose not to read the report myself, but I am told that it is horrific. Very little in the grand jury report is new. Since 2002, when sexual abuse of children by Catholic priests was first widely reported by the American media, we have known that these sins occur. Instead, this report lays bare the depth and depravity of the sins and forces us to confront, once again, how much damage was done to so many people over so many years. In a sad way, this report has done the Church a service. It has reminded us that there are still victims in our midst who need prayer, love, and healing. And, because so few cases in this report have occurred since 2002, it has confirmed for us that the procedures we put in place 16 years ago have, in fact, made the possibility of abuse in our churches almost impossible. That when we follow the policies, our children are safe. However, more than just reminding us that abuse in the church has been far too present for far too long, the Pennsylvania report also showed just how negligent the bishops of the time were in dealing with the sins of their priests. Bishop after bishop did not do what was necessary to protect the children of his diocese. Priests were moved or sent to ineffectual treatment or were asked to apologize, but with no further consequences. These bishops did not want to rock the boat, endanger the institution, or risk their reputations, and thousands of children were harmed in the process. And finally, to make matters worse, only a few weeks before the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report was released, newspapers began reporting that an influential American cardinal, Theodore McCarrick, had been using the power and influence of his office to coerce young priests and seminarians into homosexual relationships. But Bishop McCarrick was not alone. For decades, our seminaries and dioceses have looked the other way as priests have abandoned their vows of celibacy and supported each other in these secret lifestyles. We are only beginning to learn how pervasive these practices were and are. These acts are absolutely evil. To abandon a vow of celibacy and to lie to the people of God is itself a grave mortal sin that does harm to the church. But the abuse of children is even so much worse. To abuse a child is to corrupt innocence, to burden a human being with a lifetime of trauma and woundedness. And then to do so as a man of God, a man trusted by those he served, a man who was supposed to stand in the place of Jesus. This is demonic. In Dante's Inferno, the lowest level of hell is reserved for those who commit acts of betrayal, including and especially betrayal of those in their care. Unless these men repent completely from the heart, that level of hell is reserved for them. And the bishops who failed to act, unless they repent, who will protect them from the everlasting fire? 
The problem for us is that even though we know that these men betrayed their offices, betrayed the church, and betrayed these children, they still held positions that represented the church. From the outside, it looks like it is the church that is corrupt, evil, and dangerous. It looks like, by standing with the church, we are standing with these Judases against the victims and Jesus himself. I cannot tell you how to think or feel about all of this. I cannot tell you what to do. The magnitude of the sin and corruption that has occurred in our church is something that we will all have to struggle with in a very personal way. I can simply tell you about the thoughts in my head and the feelings in my heart. I chose to wait a week to preach about this because I knew that this gospel was coming. I knew that this week we would hear the words that sit deeply on my own heart. Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. My friends, nothing we have learned in these last few weeks has changed anything about why I choose to be Catholic. I choose to be Catholic because I believe that the Catholic faith is beautiful, that her teachings unite the generations and show forth the splendor of human wisdom and human devotion. I choose to be Catholic because the teachings of the Church led me to Jesus, and Jesus is the only thing that makes my life and this world make sense. I choose to be Catholic because only the Catholic Church seems to have preserved the teachings and practices of Jesus' apostles, including and especially the Eucharist and the Mass. I choose to be Catholic because I am weak and I am sinful, and without the grace of the sacraments, I would be lost. So I remain utterly convinced that Jesus is Lord, and that he has entrusted his church with the words of eternal life. And I have nowhere else to go. Only here will I find grace and depth and wisdom. And because I deeply believe that the church is divinely instituted, I know that these sins were not committed by the church. They were committed against the church and against her most vulnerable members by wolves in sheep's clothing. Had the moral teachings of the Church been taken seriously, we wouldn't have allowed this to happen. And when I think about the sins of these priests and the negligence of these bishops, I do get choked up and begin to cry, because I love the Church so damn much. She is, without question, the love of my life. Our second reading speaks of Christ as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. We, we priests stand in the place of Christ, which means we also stand as bridegrooms for his bride. 
like Christ, like every husband, we are called to sacrifice our lives for the church. But these evil men have betrayed my bride, my wife, my dearest love. They have sullied her name. They have wrecked her mission. They have harmed her children. And now, our children, some of whom are in their 60s, 70s, or 80s, no longer believe that they can trust their mother, the church. What should have been the unconditional love of Jesus was corrupted into a source of harm, shame, and trauma. But I'm not going to leave my bride, because how could I? The evil is not from her, it is against her. When a man's love is threatened, he steals himself and he protects her. So I am trying to develop my deep sadness into resolve. And I resolve the following. First, I will never ever allow this to happen on my watch. I will enforce the safe environment policies without mercy. No matter how inconvenient and burdensome these policies may be, no inconvenience can outweigh the safety of our children. Second, I will work especially hard to bring the grace of Jesus to victims of sexual abuse. For every one victim who suffered at the hands of the church, there are many more who have suffered at the hands of an uncle, a cousin, a sibling, or a trusted family friend. Every victim of sexual abuse deserves to know the unconditional love of Jesus. And if I ever learn outside of the confessional about a child who has experienced sexual abuse, I will do everything in my power to ensure that this child receives the protection and support that he or she needs. Third, I will never be a leader that protects the status quo. The bishops who allowed this abuse to continue under their watch did not want to rock the boat, deviate from the norm, or endanger their institutions. This cannot be how we move forward. Instead, I will hold nothing sacred except Jesus and the Catholic faith. I will combat any inertia, any barrier, any comfort that threatens to distance our community from Jesus Christ. Finally, I will keep as my solitary focus the holiness of the people of the Skagit Valley, myself included. The Church is my bride, and she is beautiful. But the only way that beauty will ever shine forth in the eyes of the world again is if her people are holy. I will do penance, I will pray, I will fast, and I will live in deep spiritual communion with my people. I cannot decide what reforms the Pope and the United States bishops will need to undergo. The only reform I have control over is the reform of my own heart. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not the first time the Church has been in need of reform, and it will not be the last. This may not even be the worst corruption in our long history, however disheartening that might seem. Regardless, no matter how bad things have been or how bad they become, no matter how many sins of the clergy come to light, Nothing can change the fact that it is here, in the Catholic Church, that I have found the words of eternal life. 
And I will spend the rest of my life ensuring that these words are never lost to the evil that seeks to destroy them.